Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome to the Rhythm and Love podcast. I'm your co-host, Melvin. And I'm your co-host, Nick. Thanks so much for checking out the show. Melvin, it's springtime. It is springtime, and it feels great. It's glorious. Yes. I uh, sit on the front porch again. Drink a coffee. You can go for a walk. You know what's weird, though? I am missing a bit of like the winter walk. I like that cold briskness. The briskness. At night. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you just listen to music. Well, I I like the uh the um the sunlight being out. Longer. Yes, that is a big. Cuz now I can take my dog and like I'm like what's in your mouth and it's, I can see what it is. A lot yeah, easier. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is nice to have the uh the sun out a lot more. But um man, let's get into it. Who do we got this week? We have Tarek, the singer and guitar player in the Canadian band The Bluestones, with Windsor. us today. Windsor Boys. Windsor Boys. Uh, they just dropped their new record. Right. Uh, literally a couple days ago called Hidden Gems. Yep. It's a fantastic record. Yeah. I probably listened to it three or four times the day it wow. came out. It was on repeat. I was like, this is great. And I'm at my desk at work and I was like, oh, it's already done? 40 minutes flew by. Yeah, I'll put it on again. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's sick. Well, you're also a big fan of Mute Math, which, uh, what's his name? Paul? Paul, yeah. Paul Meany, uh, the singer and one of the many masterminds behind the New Orleans band Mute Math. He actually produced this record. So we talked to Tark about, you know, our love of Mute Math a little bit and how he got Paul in- involved in the project. Uh, we also talked about film scores and yeah. how that influenced him. And we also talked about, you know, the whole recording process of this record being signed, re-releasing a record they already kind of done. Yep. So much stuff we talked about and about, and it was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I had a really good time uh, with this interview as well. Um, well, without further ado, well, let's uh, get right into it. Yeah. So if you're about to sit on your front porch. Or you're about to go out for a spring walk. Grab yourself a drink and enjoy the show. Right on. Thanks, guys. Hey, man. How's it going? Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. 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 Welcome to the Rhythm and Love podcast, man. We're uh, very happy to have you here. and We're very excited to uh, talk to you about a bunch of things. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's excited to be a part of it. Rhythm and Love. Wow. <laughs> really Really went sensual with the title, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, originally it was going to be more of like, um, kind of like a drummer podcast because I'm a drummer. Okay. And um, me and Nick decided that we wanted to go a little broader and you know talk to everybody in the industry, um, try to get some knowledge out there and help out uh, with you know the younger uh, audience, you know, trying to make their way through the music industry, which I'm sure you've noticed is can be very difficult at times and confusing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's kind of like a, a crapshoot early on, you know? Yeah, right off the bat. Um, my one friend, he used to describe it as uh, you are digging a grave in hopes that somebody will pull you out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, uh, that's a very pessimistic way to look at it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's somewhat true, I guess, you know? Yeah. It's... Uh, yeah, it, it can be. At least it can be very, very true. It's also mm-hmm. very rewarding. A lot of fun. Yeah. Um, all right, Nick, you want to get her started? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so are you, uh, first, how's lockdown treating you? Are you in Windsor or? Yeah, so Windsor, Ontario. 
Um, for those who don't know where that is, it's right across the river from Detroit. Um, but that is where my current, uh, my current lockdown location is. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been okay. I think it's probably very similar to a lot of other people's experience where, you know, you can't really do all that much. And the things that you can do, you do a lot of it because it's like the only thing you can do. So uh, for our guests who don't know, uh, how would you, you are the guitar player and singer of the Blue Stones. Yeah. So you guys have been around for like just around over a decade now. And you know, you released two EPs when you first started. Yeah. And then your first album technically came out in 2015, right? Um, well, yeah, I guess we, we had an independent release that we kind of did on our own. Um, so that was while we were still indie. We figured, you know, if we're going to do something, you might as well just do it ourselves and see what happens. So we released um, an early version of Black Holes uh, in 2015. So that's that was kind of like our first big release for like the both of us. And we were at a point with our music where we felt very proud of like how we sounded. So we wanted to big, a big, put a big push behind it, but we didn't really expect anything of it. We just kind of wanted to do it for us and our hometown and our friends and family and um, it was great, you know, it was for what it was, it was great. And it really kickstarted something that w- would become much larger later on. For sure. So like, let's flash forward to 2018, uh, E1 signed you guys. They re-released your first album that you guys did by yourselves. Now, did they just, when they signed you guys, was it more, we want to take your sound and what you guys released and just re-release it? Or did they have any sort of creative input into the new album? That's the great thing about E1 <clears throat> is that they they kind of let us just be us. They've never really wanted to put their hands in the creative side of things. They're kind of like, all right, Tarek, Justin, you guys do your thing and we'll just push whatever that happens to be, you know? And uh, very fortunate to have a label like that because obviously larger labels or labels that are, you know, I guess managing bigger artists would want to have their hand in everything, right? So um it was nice to have them let us handle of the creative side of things. But yeah, they, they ended up actually just really liking Black Holes and a couple of songs that were from a previous album. They're like, let's just bring all of that and release Black Holes, you know, under our label as your debut album for the Blue Stones. And we were like, yeah, let's do it. That's uh, that's fantastic. That really worked out. I do have a question about that. Um, since the album had been released in 2015, and then again in 2018, what was like, what was a big difference between having the label involved, like marketing campaigns, or was, were they just able to help you get on tours? What was the difference between both releases? Uh, well, they had the, the album remixed and remastered, which was nice, kind of put a bit more weight behind the music. Um, and then, yeah, they had, they had a, a very, you know, well-oiled machine as far as marketing and promotion is concerned um they put us in front of a a lot of players as far as like agents and like you know uh, pr reps um publishers publishing companies they're able to just have the clout to be like hey we have these new guys and we really think that you should come listen to them play live or we really think that you should listen to this whereas for those who are independent no you know you can toss your album a thousand different directions and maybe nobody even takes a look at it or takes a listen to it. So 
I think that was the big difference is having somebody vouch for you that already has clout and is like, listen, these guys were indie, they are now not, and you should pay attention. And I think that is the nice thing about having a label. Um, and then also, you know, they, they fund you, they help you distribute, um, even something as simple as creating like a, a lyric video for you, you know, it's something that you don't have to think about to go get. Like there's like, when well, we do that in house, we'll take care of that for you, you know? So wow. that is a nice thing about having a label. Absolutely. I, I think that's uh, fantastic. And like to the point of what you're saying about remixing the track or like having the songs be out for a while, especially when you're independent, it's a little bit harder to get the attention of audience or uh, of people. I was seeing, I saw an interview with, I think it was Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters and they were talking about Everlong and the song didn't actually blow up until about like a year or two later. And yeah. then it became, you know, one of their biggest hits Absolutely. it's just funny how sometimes a song doesn't work at one time and then it all of a sudden like picks up and it just works yeah i think that same thing happened to um oh gosh how come i can't remember what their name is the wish i knew you i guess I, for whatever reason i'm drawing a blank but it, it's very common that a band will release a song and like it doesn't really hit until like a year and a half later two years yeah. later yeah sometimes you just gotta <laughs> be patient with it yeah, so with uh, with the album Black Holes, uh, you know, you start off with Airlock and uh, you have Orbit later on, which are kind of like, you know, interludes and instrumental songs. But I think they really set the tone for the album of like a huge, that there's so much more than just, you know, two guys playing and like they kind of give uh, like a cinematic and like film score. Do you guys like listen to film scores at all? And is there any that really stand out to you guys? Or? 100,000 million percent. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, I oh, the Revivalists. That was the name of that band. That was the band. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's it. Um, yeah. Film. I mean, film, cinema, huge for myself. Also, Justin. Um, my brother is actually like a director, producer, and uh, you know, obviously, he's very much into film. But growing up, like we would just watch so many movies, and I would just get so captivated with with scores, you know like wow. Hans Zimmer, for example, like yes. just, you know, it's like this music that just like takes a hold of you, you know, and without the move, without the music, the movie is nothing. And I feel like building the atmosphere is so important, whether or not you have a visual to accompany it. Right. So taking that in consideration when you're building an album out, like to have those sort of cinematic or atmospheric tracks just helps bring the entire tone and the idea of the album together. So for black holes, you know, it's, <clears throat> it was, I'm sure we'll probably end up getting into it, but it was about feeling lost and feeling like you don't know what to do next and being lost in this endless sort of limitless amount of choices that you could make in your own life. And almost like an astronaut floating through space. And like from mm -hmm. that idea comes this soundscape of like, you know, space and arpeggiators and all this like cloudy ambient you know, music that's, that's uh, on those instrumental tracks like Orbit and Airlock. So yes, that's definitely inspired from uh, film scores for sure. Wow. Yeah. Another that's good one, too. David Holmes. I think he's the one who did Oceans, the Oceans movies. Okay. Oh, okay. Ocean's Maybe. 11. Yeah. Yeah. Ocean's 11. Yeah, that's it. He did Ocean's 11, 12, and I don't know about 13. Maybe. Wow, but yeah, David Holmes, he's, he's another good one. What about um, uh, James Horner? What are the... He did like uh, Apollo 13, Titanic. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Casper. 
Um, yeah, I don't, I'm sure if I heard some of like hmm. the, the songs, I would almost like recognize them. And that's yeah. what I love about movie scores too. Like they're just so recognizable. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And that's the thing too. Like when well, you mentioned space and like Hans Zimmer, you know, you put them with Christopher Nolan and like, yeah, they work oh. together so much. And even, uh, I know who did Tenet. It was, uh, Oh, Ludwig Garson. Oh, that's another amazing. Yeah. And that, that's actually a great example because he is, he was Charles Gambino's producer. No way. Mm. So he produced, you know, a majority of Charles Gambino's tracks. I know he does production on a lot of other things. Like I know in the Black Panther era, he was doing production for Kendrick Lamar. Um, there's probably a bunch of others that, you know, Ludwig, or Ludwig uh, fans are going to kill me about, but he's so <laughs> talented. And that, yeah. And he did Mandalorian too. Didn't he do the Mandalorian? Yeah, Mandal- he did yeah. Mandalorian. Oh, who's that guy? <clears throat> yeah. And oh. like, I remember seeing Tenet the one movie I saw in theaters last year. And I remember thinking Hans Zimmer, cause it was a Christopher Nolan movie. So I was like, Oh, yeah. they're going to work together. And then being like the whole time being like, I know it's not Hans Zimmer, but it's still really good. It's setting yeah. the tone. Like, yeah, this is too, I was like, this is way too trendy to be yeah. Hans Zimmer. Like this is just too cool. Like I would listen to this, like walking down the street. Um, <clears throat> but apparently a little factoid about that. Hans, so Nolan approached Hans Zimmer to do that score as he always would, but he couldn't take the time from doing the score in the upcoming movie Dune to, to do Chris's movie. So he's like, don't worry. I know this guy. He's really great, really talented. I'll have him do your movie for you. So, so Ludwig Goranson ended up doing it. And the, the amazing thing about it is he had an orchestra recording all of their parts individually from all of their homes and they would just all send him the files and he compiled it into what would become a score. And I think that's just the coolest thing. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah looking up, I brought him up here. He did a uh, camp because of the internet and awaken my love for Charles Gambino, which like, yeah. And even um, this is America, which all like fantastic records. Oh, like, yeah. I think because of the internet is probably one of my favorite albums. But yeah, so good. So, so good. So yeah, movie scores are very, very important to me. And I think they're very influential. You know, um, it's a great place to draw inspiration too. Wow, that's fantastic. I love it. Um, okay, man. So the US actually embraced you guys before Canada did. Um, you know, usually in Canada, uh, we like show off our Canadian pride in musical exports. Um, you toured throughout 2019 and even had a headlining tour started back in 2020 uh, with several sold out dates. Um, you also had the Juno nomination for best breakthrough. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Congratulations, um, man. Thanks, guys. How did it feel to you know be pre- uh, like propelled into such new limelight? And you know what was the things that were like going through your mind? It, yeah, it was so much fun. Um, it was just great to see something that Justin and I had worked so hard on for years and years and years finally start to hit, you know, and that was what was so fun about the middle of 2019 onwards through the end of 2019 and the, excuse me, the early part of 2020, we're just playing these shows and like, there's a sold out show and there's another sold out show and there's another sold out show and another one. And there's the Juno nomination. It's just kind of like all these things started happening. And I remember just kind of looking at Justin and just being like, man, this is actually like, it's happening now. You know, it's finally happening. And 
Uh, it just sucks that everything got shut down kind of right in the middle of that. But to see the momentum build was very exciting and it was very rewarding because it's something that you've done yourself, you know? Right. And, yeah. And well, I mean, and that's not to say that we didn't have plenty of help along the way. Like our management team's amazing and our label's amazing. Like we were talking about and obviously everybody who supported us from the start, but to have something that we built from a garage to this, <clears throat> it was just very nice to see. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and that's huge. I mean, you know, what would be some of your tips on, you know, being in a band that long and just maintaining progress? You have to strike a balance between doing it for fun. Yep. Nice. You know, and still being hungry for more. Wow. And I think if you could find the right balance of that, then you've got something because if you're just doing it for fun, it may hit, it may not, it probably won't, but it's okay because you're having a lot of fun doing it. And if you're just hungry for success, you're not going to put enough time and energy because it's going to burn you out and you're going to get sick of it because you're working too hard. Mm -hmm. So finding that balance between those two things, I think is very, very important. More practical things that people can put to use, playing a lot of shows, actually putting time and effort into writing music that you care about and that you like, you know, an audience can sniff out whether or not you like doing what you're doing up there, you know, like they can really see passion. So make sure that the music that you're making is enjoyable to you, you know, and that's, that's huge. Um, Get yourself a good manager. I think that's probably a good step. Everybody's looking to, to go straight to a label. I wouldn't really recommend trying to do that. It's kind of a big leap. Um, to start off with, if you can find somebody who's a manager who cares about what you're doing and who can get behind you and who can put you in front of the right people, that's a very important connection to have. Um, a good manager and a good agent. <clears throat> For sure. Yes. And that's part too, like you talked about like the big jump, like you guys have been around since 2011 and you know, 10 years later, you're not, you're nominated for breakthrough group. And uh, yeah. So it's just like, it shows how much work you got to put into it to be like, Hey, it's, it took us, nine ten years to get the breakthrough nomination yeah yeah like we're breaking through now and i mean yeah that's when your breakthrough year is i guess yeah i if you kind of go into it and you're thinking you know why am i not famous yet like it's just it's just the wrong attitude to have i think you know um yeah you just you really need to just do it and understand that it's going to be a grind and you're going to play shows in front of like four people and you're going to play shows for like 1250 canadian and, uh, and if you keep pushing, then you'll, you'll find something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Like I've been, I've been lucky to see you guys a couple of times. Uh, the first time you guys opened up for grandson at Cowboys. Oh yeah. Okay. That was in London. There was like, there was like 20 people there yeah. at the time kind of thing. And then I saw you, uh, sort of last year when you did rum runners oh. and that was a sold out show. Yep. And it just showed like literally a year apart, you went from an opening slot to a headlining tour where you sold out. You had, you had a couple sold out dates in that tour, didn't you guys? I, I want to say that they were all sold out. Um, wow. Nice. Uh, in Ontario, I think. I, honestly, I, I think maybe one or two shows might not have been, but pretty sure Kingston, Toronto, London. Uh, oh God, I can't remember where the other places were. But uh, yeah, that was a very fun. Oh, Ottawa was one, but that was a very fun run, man. Um, yeah, it was it was hitting, and that was it's funny because you mentioned the Canadian thing. We did hit in the U.S. before we did Canada, and I always thought that was interesting because 
we worked so hard in Canada at first and we were just so confused as to like, why the hell does the Canadian industry not like us? Like, is it because we're from Windsor? Like, I don't really understand. <laughs> oh my gosh. <clears throat> Honestly, man, it's a bit of a blessing because I, I, I think most Canadian bands struggle with the U.S. They can get Canada and you kind of got the, um, the best, the best end if you can crack the U.S. first. Yeah. Some 41 had that same thing too. They tried forever with Canada. Yeah. And then they were just like, screw it. We'll go to the U S and it like popped off. Yeah. Yeah. So Once things started been, to brew a little bit in the U S it was funny because then Canada was like, Oh no, no. Like these are our guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Um, and so one thing I love about your live shows is just like, if you weren't looking at the stage and you were like at the bar, or went to the washroom, you would think there's like four plus people on stage. And like you and Justin, you guys just fill the room. So what are so like how do you guys approach the live shows and like hmm. are there certain gears or methods that you guys apply to it? Well, I think one of the best things that Justin says <clears throat> when we're asked this question, because you know, obviously a lot of people want to know. Um, but we're usually covering our own songs when we play live. Like the album songs are the album songs and the live songs are the live songs, you know? Whoa. And I think it's, it's a mix of things, you know, it's uh, Justin plays the drums very, very hard and he's very intense. Um, and I think playing with him for so many years, I have subconsciously matched that with, whether it's guitar volume or the effects I use or the amps I use or the guitars I use. Right. So I play with thicker gauge strings. Um, I play with nice heavy guitars. Like I really love, uh, I had a Gibson Les Paul, like an American made one. It's like that nice heavy piece of wood. Nice. Um, and then a lot of the pedals I use, like I do use an Octaver. I, I try not to lean on it as much, but I do use one and I use just a, a beautiful distortion pedal that comes through nice and crisp, but also has just a lot of beef low end to it. Um, the amp that I use is very beefy. You know, it's a, it's a 412 stack Mesa. Yeah. It's got a nice thick sound to it. So there's all these things that accumulate to make this like well-rounded sound. And then obviously the thing that finishes it off is the vocals too, you know, and yeah. we both are, are singing different parts and Justin's doing a lot of backing. Um, but yeah, it's, there's a lot that goes into it, I suppose. To make it yeah. sound full. Um, I just wanted to highlight something you said there at the beginning that I thought was very interesting, that you're covering your songs on the album. Yes. Do you mean like, what I think you mean by that? Like, okay, we uh, have this song. How are we going to make it our own, even though it is your own already? Yeah, like how are we getting... So it's like when we're in the studio yeah. and we're putting everything down, it's not like we're sitting there like, mm, we can't do that because how are we going to do that live? It's, <clears throat> we want to have that ultimate freedom to do whatever we want to service the song. We want to make the song as, as good as it can be. So we're not going to limit ourselves because we're just two guys. Um, then when it comes to translating everything into a live show, it's more like, okay, well, how, how are we going to play this song that has all these parts, but we want to still make it as fulfilling as it is for people on the album, if not more fulfilling live, right? And you use other things like your stage presence and different vocals, different breakdowns. So it is like covering our own songs. We're taking yeah. our own song, putting a different spin on that same song live. Man, I think that's so cool. I'm actually, uh, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> I think that's a really good tip, man. Yeah. I got to give credit to Justin. He's, he's thought of that 
Wow. I love that, man. Yeah. yeah. Props to him. Um, okay. So, man, a lot of people know, may not know this about you, but you actually got a couple degrees, one in uh, biology. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. My undergrad is uh, biological sciences major. And then I actually have um, my master's in physiotherapy. Man, that is crazy. It, it's just, it was honestly a timing thing. Yeah. Um, as we were developing the band and, and things were moving, you know, you, we, we hit a lull after many, many, many years. And right. I had this opportunity to go abroad and study physiotherapy in England. Wow. And I was like, you know what? I, I just got to take it. It's two years. I figured I would just go and, yeah. sort of pursue that. Not that I was done with music altogether, but it, it was just, it was time to put it aside for a little bit. Yeah. So I was basically finishing up my degree when we got uh, called by this management company um, in 20, would have been 16, 2017. Yeah. Um, 2016. And they were like, Hey, you know, we really like your stuff and we want to help you develop this further. And, you know, we, we've gotten a lot of emails like that. So we were kind of like, okay, whatever, let's just see what this is all about. <laughs> But it ended up being something that we actually really benefited from. And I still finished my degree. You know, it was yeah. an important thing to me. I, I wanted to finish and, and get that. So, yeah, fully that's, licensed physio. Yeah. Man, that's, uh, that's awesome. So would you say, I mean, be, having a degree in physiotherapy, do you apply any of that, you know, when you're on the road? Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. sometimes like, you know, Justin will get like a trap strain or something like that. And yeah. I can kind of do a couple of techniques to help him out or, okay. you know, it's, it's, okay. it's nice to know the body and anatomy and physiology only because it, I can better train myself, I think for live performance. Like yeah. the way that we both treat it is, is almost like it's athletics, you know, because right. when you're up there and you're working hard, like both of us sweat our asses off and we're working so hard and you can get gassed easily, you know, yeah. just because it's two of us and we need to work hard and have a commanding stage presence. So because of that, we treat our bodies the right way. You know, we get enough sleep and we, sometimes when I'm running, I'm singing the songs just so I know I can keep up with the demands of performing them live. So yeah, I guess some of that stuff translates, but truly not, not everything. It's almost like I got to hop between two sides of my brain. To do yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. Um, and how about the, uh, biology degree? Does that help with anything? Um, uh, it helped with getting my physio degree. Nice. It's all connected. <laughs> no time. Uh, so there's the new album is, is out. So, all right. Well, it was supposed to come out last summer. Was it not? Uh, yeah, it was actually, we were supposed to put it out in July of 2020. Yeah. July, 2020. Okay. Um, so it's been unfortunately pushed back. Yep. due to the world the events happening in the world mm-hmm. um i kind of want to geek out with you for a minute here because okay. you got to work with paul meany of new math yeah. um new math is probably one of my all-time favorite bands uh you are mine was my wedding song with my wife our first dance wow okay um, that's funny i was just talking about that song with paul today that's so weird really no way. yeah yeah yeah, yeah and like go. I got to, I got, the first time I saw Mute Math was in um, 2009. They played a festival in Toronto. And that's when Darren was still the drummer. Right. And I just remember them coming on stage, no idea who they were. And like he pulled out the duct tape and like duct taped the headphones around them. And I was like, what's, what's up with this kind of gimmick? And then they started playing. 
and I was just like memor- mesmerized the whole time. Yeah. Like, did you ever get a chance to see Meat Math at all? Or like? oh, I, I think I've seen them probably five different times. Um, definitely earlier on, 2009, 2008, or whenever they put out Meat Math, like the, their self-title. Yeah. But yeah, we, we got to see them over the years, both Justin and myself. I'm huge, huge fans. Um, I drew a lot of influence from Paul and, and the guys in Meat Math. Just amazing music to me like well thought out and great writing um they never really got the recognition they deserved but the funny thing is you now you find so many of these bands who are like really on the radar have mute math influence so it's like one of those bands that just influenced so many other bands who have now gone on to do really cool things um but yeah their shows were always so incredible like just amazing to watch i got to see them in Manchester, UK. That was when I was away doing my degree. And they played in this room. I think it was like maybe a uh, 80 cap room. And really? just a small bar and them. And it was like one of the best shows I've seen, man, for sure. Wow. Absolutely incredible. Like yeah. I see, I've, I've saw them a few times over the years too. And just mesmerizing, like four dudes on stage, enough instruments to be like, have like a nine person band on stage. Yeah. And just the way they incorporate it all. So how did you get connected with Paul and uh, get him to produce the new record? That, so that was, <clears throat> that was through our management. Um, I remember they asked us, like, okay, guys, like, you know, we have these demos here. Who would be your ideal producers? Like, if you were to name some out, who would they be? So, you know, we kind of named out a few. And, and Paul was like, I remember saying, like, well, I mean, having Paul would be amazing. Obviously, that's shooting for the stars, but whatever, might as well say it. And I remember one of our managers, George, was like, okay, you know what? Just give me some time with it. Like, well, I'll just give us some time. We'll figure it out. And then I think maybe three or four days later, he's like, hey, guys, I'm expecting an email shortly. And Paul emails us. And he's kind of like, hey, guys, we, we had recently done a live performance video from like this Chicago um, called Audio, Audio Tree, I believe. Okay. <laughs> my, memory's, yeah. my memory's horrible. Um, and he's like, hey, guys, I saw your audio tree performance. I listened to your stuff. Absolutely love it. I'd, be lo- I'd love to be a part of your next album, you know? And I was like, holy shit. I just, I honestly hit the roof. I, I was kind of like just shocked for a good hour. And then, yeah, geeking out for sure. And he just, he, <laughs> the funny thing is from then, I think about a month later, we flew out to New Orleans to go and write with him at his place I remember pulling up in this like small little rental car to his house and being like, holy shit, like we're about to meet Paul. He's, we're going to, we're going to yeah. be right with him. And nicest guy, honestly, the best coach. Like I always say that the term don't meet your heroes, like that doesn't apply to Paul because he is such a humble and like honest, hardworking very good coach. He pushes you in the right way. And he, and it's just, it was an awesome experience working with him. You know, it's one of our personal heroes and we just were fortunate enough to, to work with him. Wow. Hmm. Well, you mentioned New Orleans there and it's just like, New Orleans is such like a music staple in the States. Right. And so yeah. what was it like going down there being in such a, and then um, like being in New Orleans itself, have you been there before? Or? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had visited New Orleans a couple times um and it's a great city you know like obviously a great food city a great music city um 
but it's, it definitely has like a life to it, you know, like its own little, its own little sort of life, own little subspecies of people, which are super, super nice. And yeah, I absolutely love it. You know, I think it's a really cool place. Um, and it definitely influences a bit of your sound. Wow. Just kind of being sure. For sure. Um, he also, he hasn't <laughs> produced too much over the years, but he did the last 21 Pilots album, yep. another two-piece band. So when you like approached Paul, was it more of a, uh, hey, here's a list of songs we recorded, help us take it to the next level? Or did you guys write together with him? So yeah, the, uh, it was a mix of things, you know, there were demos that were like 80% complete. There were demos that were 30% complete, you know, and he just sort of helped complete that process of writing the rest of the demo with us. You know, um, it was the first time that we had actually like written with Paul. I think we're, we're obviously the, the primary writers, um, but it was nice to have his, his input on these songs. Um, but he basically took the demos and a lot of which he already liked for what they were. Um, but he sort of added his element to it, which just took the song from here to like way up there, you know? Wow. So, um, yeah. And he was very careful to maintain us and our sound and our personality. He was like, I don't want to change you guys. I just want to take what you are and just enhance it, you know? And he, I, I feel like he did exactly that on, on this album wow and, um did you play did you play any shows and was he ever at any of the shows did that <clears> add <throat> extra pressure having him there or i'm not sure that we did actually i don't think we ever played a show that he was at no i don't think we did no i don't think we did no um he did help us with the live on display live performance mm -hmm. um Which so was in awesome. a way he was able to watch that um, but yeah, I, I don't think like an actual show he he's been at yet, but I think it's just because obviously we would record with him. He'd go work on other projects and we'd be touring, you know? So it's just kind of the way the schedules worked out. Makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, what would be the biggest thing you learned from him and what are, like, are you going to apply it in the future when it comes to writing? I would say for the longest time, I never really cared all that much about lyrics. I always kind of saw them as um, just an add-on to what was already like good music in my mind. So write a riff, write some drums, uh, put together a song and have a melody. And then I was like, yeah, I'll just kind of fill in the lyrics with something somewhat relatable, you know, and that was earlier on, obviously. Yeah. But he really shone a light on the importance of lyrics and how it's just one more way to get people to connect with your music, you know? If yeah. not anything else, they can at least connect with what you're saying and how important that is in a song. Really focus on the lyrics, really focus on the message you're trying to convey here, you know? Don't sort of half-ass what you're trying to say, like really build a message or build a story for somebody. And, and he really made me realize how important lyrical content is. And I think for the longest time too, when I would listen to music, I wouldn't really care all that much what they were saying lyrically. I just kind of like music and I just like listening to it. But um, after that, I really started to pay attention to, to music and lyrics more. And I realized how important it was because it can really make a connection with you, you know? Yeah, totally, man. I, you know, <clears throat> I, had, I would say I had a similar thought process and maybe still do. Also, I'm a drummer, so it's a little different. But, you know, if I was like trying to mess around with a melody or playing in a band with somebody and they're trying to write a melody... 
I would just think that that was good enough. The lyrics didn't matter yeah. as much. But, you know, you talk to other people that maybe they don't play an instrument or they're not in a band. One of the big things that they always say is, oh, you got to listen to the lyrics in this part. Turn it up, turn it up. Mm-hmm. And then it's something sweet or I don't know. But you're yeah. right, man. There's like something that about the lyrics that can really connect you to that band. And I only yeah. have sp- certain bands that I feel do that for me. Like Gaslight Anthem would be one. Where okay. Like, oh, lyrics. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. that's, uh, that's very cool, man. And so have you like already started testing out, um, you know, writing new lyrics just in practice or? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think a lot of, like, I don't necessarily write about myself. Right. Yeah. Um, but more recently, and I think on this album, this new album, I did write a lot about myself and like what was going on kind of yeah. in my life. Not every single song, you know, but um, there's definitely drawing more inspiration from like my own experiences. Whereas before I just kind of write from you know, whether it was a pretend experience or kind of a superficial experience, right? Yeah. So um, that's, I guess, some of the stuff that I'm doing that's a little bit different now. Um, just kind of trying to really experiment with different sounds and maybe different chord progressions that maybe I never would have tried before. Right. Right. So, I mean, that's all because of Paul, you know, he kind of opens your, your eyes to this kind of stuff. And remember he would say like, he's kind of the chord police where like I'd start to be, to play something and he's like, ah, you use that. Like, don't use that again. Try something no else. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Dude, that's so, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So that, it's just some, one of the ways that he kind of pushes you out of your comfort zone. Um, but it was it's good. Yeah. Would you Learned say a lot. it was more difficult to write about yourself or outwardly? I think it's definitely more difficult to write about yourself. Yeah. Because like you realize that, you know, these songs are eventually going to hit the public and like all of your laundry is getting aired out. Um, so it's it's more difficult to be that vulnerable, I guess. But at the same time, it's it does make it easier to connect with the song. And then, you know, when you, you do have something like an interview like this or somebody asks you about the song, like it's coming from a real place. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I hope that other people have gone through similar things or have experienced similar things in their life that they can make a connection with, you know, what I'm saying, you know? Totally, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Things are still a bit unstable, you know, with COVID in the second lockdown. Um, but it is slowly getting better. Um, you know, vaccines are starting to come out. What are some of the things you're looking forward to, um, when this all clears up? Um, it'd be nice to play shows again, obviously. Um, you know, we got a taste of it with a drive-in show we played in October. Nice. Was that Toronto? Yeah, that was in Toronto. That was at City View Drive-In. Uh, really, really cool. But yeah, playing shows again would be awesome. I, I mean, just being able to travel across the border, you know, um, to do those runs again would be great. But going over to the UK again would be awesome. So really any of those, you know, um, writing, you can kind of do whenever, um, I find I write better under pressure than I do when I have all this time. Yeah. I, I just, for whatever reason, I'm kind of more regimented that way and I can pump out material better that way. When I have all this time, I'm just kind of like, well, I'll just do it another time or I'm just not really feeling the creative spike right now you know um but yeah uh that that's probably what i'm looking forward to most is getting back to shows for sure wow and that's the one thing i've always been kind of a little jealous of windsor 
is because like Detroit's right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, you yeah. know, how many bands or artists like do a tour of just the States, they'll come to Detroit, won't come to Canada, but being to Windsor, you can just hop the border, go over there, see, see so many great shows. And Yeah. So many shows we've seen in Detroit, you know, Mute Math was, was two or three times in Detroit. Um, but awesome venues of different sizes and it, it was nice it's like a very strategic place to be as a band because you can just hop right across the border and then you hop right back in your home absolutely a, a band with a visa i should say yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite a bit of paperwork to go through and a yeah. pretty penny for just a 20 minute drive eh? yeah, <laughs> yeah. um all right man well dude we want to thank you so much again for coming on to the show um it was great having you. It was awesome learning mm. way more about you and um, yeah, your process. Thanks for having me guys. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. Absolutely. Can't wait to see you guys again. Yeah. Can't wait to play. It's going to be good. Awesome. Sure. Awesome. Thanks. Have a good night, man. All right. See you guys later. Yeah. yeah we'll okay. Right. Have All a good right. night. Big thanks to Tarek from the Blue Stones again for coming onto the show and talking so deeply about the recording process and, you know, just the strategies and struggles that the band's gone through. Super open interview, and uh, we really appreciate him coming out. For sure. Again, they have a new record out called Hidden Gems. It's out now. Go stream on your favorite streaming service. And while you're on the streaming services, probably listen to this podcast on oh. Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Google Podcast, Anchor FM, or if you're checking it on the website, uh, we want to thank you guys so much. Yes. Uh, we hit a little bit of a milestone recently with over 500 streams and downloads. Yes, congratulations, buddy. No, congratulations to you, Melvin. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and I know like 500 people are like, oh, that's not a whole lot, but like you got to think of it in a sense of, you know, a song someone can stream 20 times in a night because they really like it. Yeah. Usually these, uh, if you were to stream one of our episodes, especially one of our hour long ones, right. that's 20 hours. Yeah. So thank you very much. Yes. But no, we wouldn't be where we are without uh, our continued support from our friends, family, and listeners. And, uh, you know, we got some other things planned. I'm just, I'll just drop it right now. It's nice outside, which means the snow's gone, which means I could print some merch again. I will be in the garage, Ooh. and there might be some Rhythm and Love merch, but that's just a might. That's just a might. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Couple. Who knows, you know, you know, when we say every episode, grab yourself a drink, who knows if you'll have a container Oh, with Rhythm and Love. Who knows? Who I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. These are just ideas. Yeah. They're great ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Again, everyone, thank you so much for checking out the show. Rate, subscribe, review if you can. Tell your friends. Well, thanks so much, guys. Yes, thank you, everyone. Enjoy your day, and uh, go enjoy the sunshine here Woo! in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. All right, bye. <laughs>